Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a complement to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Siwit, who goes by the English name Thomas Jones. Siwit is a scholar of linguistics, and I had the opportunity to learn alongside him at a language revitalization workshop called Where Are Your Keys? As I mentioned in the previous episode, Where Are Your Keys? is a comprehensive method for revitalizing endangered languages. It uses games, tricks, and sign language to essentially hack second language learning. It was developed by an American man named Evan Gardner as a response to the imminent crisis of language loss that so many Indigenous communities across North America face as conversant speakers die or forget and as culture slips away. When Siwit shared a bit about his education and upbringing in the workshop, I was intrigued and really wanted to know more and was so pleased when he agreed to be interviewed. We were able to step out of class and have a conversation about language and belonging. Why don't we begin with you introducing yourself? Hi, Aichka. Ainta Siwit. Tanit Sanat Snanemo. Neil. Natensal Slatihuya Nithu Stena Yusu Tani Snanemo Nith Namens Nithu Stena Yusu Tani Alert Bay E. Katesi Tani Fraser River Gunnisni Hap Matan Gunnisaleloch Sal Nithni Komathams E. Nithni Hua Stalil. Gunas ni hak, gunas leilok sa liya sa talo niwa ta niwa thelam. Sesa kita magtas noyel. Natsa sa squail na wat sa kailas. Tetsawat kusan shuo elis. Suni sa tanasilas. Hatsa huyanam. Now it's at a startle stuff. Like the snowy ethic, then it's a mistake. Then it's a small elite. You have eat squalls to the seat large. You have eat. So my traditional name is Seawit. My English name is Thomas Jones. And I'm from Snanemo. My mother was a Snanemo woman. Uh, on both sides, her her father was uh, from Snanemo, a place called Kethas, which is on Gabriola Island, and her fa- uh, her fa- sorry her father and her mother was from the main part of Snanemo, uh, from from the Seaward family, uh, so two different parts of Snanemo, two families, um, and my father he he was from Alert Bay, he is from Alert Bay. He's, his history uh, comes from also uh, Katesi, which is up on the Fraser River. So I'd say I'm like three quarters Salish <laughs> and one quarter Kwakwala. Okay. Um, 
I was uh, raised by my grandparents, not for the fact that uh, my parents couldn't raise me. It was for the simple reason that my grandfather was a very influential man in his community, uh, what we call Hewakt, and which is a leader, a chief, yeah, hereditary chief. And there's many in one tribe. Uh, for example, Snenemo had six for the six main villages. And my, on the Jones side, I, I inherit that. But my grandfather used to say that um, <clears throat> if one day that you're going to stand for your family and you're going to lead them, you're going to, you're going to speak for them, you're going to help them, you're going to look after things for them, you have to learn. And that's where stalith comes in. Uh, I use the word stalith, it's like a borrowed child. Mm. And uh, I was, wasn't the oldest. And I, it, usually it's the oldest. And I never understood why I went to be with my grandparents. And some parts of me had resentment about it. Mm. That was just a small part. A big part of me loved it. And my grandfather was my superhero. Mm. Um, I really owe who I am today to him for the things that he shared with me in my life. He said, uh, if you're going to learn to look after your family, you have to listen. You have to hear the things that I'm going to share with you. If you don't hear those things, then you'll be poor. Mm. The, the, as he said, the boat will have sailed and you'll, you won't be on it. Mm. You're going to miss things. And I'm not going to come to you and share things with you. You have to come to me. So I... Uh, Every day I was with my grandfather, we were, whether we were smoking fish or we were fishing or hunting or we were spiritually cleansing ourselves by bath and walking through the forest. And those were the times when I heard things from my grandfather. Um, those were where a lot of the teachings come out at the table when we had dinner, breakfast, uh, lunch. Those are where teachings came out. My grandmother used to say, I, we talk to you now so that when you're eating, you swallow our words mm. and that you remember. Mm. And I always think of that. That's something that's special in my life. Um, and I always used to think that we were in trouble when we were being talked to, because I used to talk firm. It's like an old drill sergeant. I don't talk loud, so to see me and I talk loud, so you simply understand what I'm saying. Mm. I, I talk firm, so it gets to you, it hits you. And that's right, I felt something when they were talking to me. So it was like it was hitting me in my chest, and I remembered it. Mm. And my uh, grandmother says, if you're going to be, you have to be a good person, uh, respectful, kind, honor, integrity, and respect. She says, if you're not going to be that person, she says, uh, it's not like people are going to say, oh, what's wrong with Thomas? He's a bad person. He doesn't know how to have respect. It doesn't reflect on me. They'll say, what's wrong with his parents? Mm. What's wrong with his grandparents? I know that family, where they come from. So you have you a reflection of your family. Mm. And so you, you, my grandma said, you always walk in a good way. Mm. Always walk in a strong heart and a strong mind. So you grew up with them, and they were speaking... Uh, what was the language they were speaking to you? Yes, uh, my... My grandmother, being from Snenemo, she spoke a dialect which was Snenemokan. Mm -hmm. And Snenemokan is a more leans towards Hankaminam, uh, Lower Fraser Valley, Musqueam sort of area like that. Mm -hmm. And it's 
in the, the language itself, names like squish we use in Nanaimo, and in Musqueam, in the lower Fraser Valley, they might say squish. Mm. Our uh, misteo is the same as what they use in the, the lower Fraser Valley. So if you study the language, the language itself, the evolution of the language, um, and the movement of the people from them over into the interior Salish, into the uh, upper Fraser Valley, down to the lower Fraser Valley, and then eventually over into the island. Mm. Um, and you don't follow the origin story so religi religiously. Um, Nanaimo, Snanaimo, is the oldest dialect of language on, in the Coast Salish, mm. in the island. Mm. So it's like, and it makes, makes sense because the Fraser River was draining right out into Gabriola and Nanaimo. Mm. So it's like the people crossed there first, they landed in Nanaimo. Mm. And so that makes it the oldest dialect mm. of Coast Salish on the island. And then people were coming, you know, spreading down towards Cowetson, and then, you know, the Americans, the Lummies were coming over into Cowetson. The Samish people were coming up into the area where we are now. Mm -hmm. So it was like a big circle of what was taking place. Mm -hmm. But uh, through my studies, I found out that Snanemo uh, is the oldest dialect of Halkaminam. And my grandfather, he spoke more like a Cowetson Semenis dialect. And it used to be funny to hear them speak to each other at the dinner table. My uh, my grandma would say, "Can you pass the Achten?" Or my grandfather would say, "Can you pass the Shapten?" And the, to each other, they'd say, "Oh well, I don't know what a Shapten is, but I can pass you an Achten because there were two different words for knife in the language, and they just kind of bicker at each other, and it and it would be funny. But ultimately, they knew what they were saying. Yeah. So you studied linguistics of indigenous languages at university, is that right? Uh, it was focused on Halkaminam. Okay. Halkaminam. Halkaminam. Yeah. Uh, I think, it, if I remember correctly, it was Simon Fraser was like the first one to pilot the Halkaminam right. linguistics program. And that's an interesting thing for me as settler. I grew up in Duncan, obviously decades before... Uh, the words language revitalization or even indigenous was in my consciousness, right? Growing up as a small kid. and um, So as an adult, to learn, oh, the language of the local First Nations here that I've lived on this whole time, I didn't realize it's Halkaminam. But then when I was in a Lekwungen language class with somebody who said he had one parent speaking Lekwungen and another speaking and how uh, he was very confused about how to use language because it was so different. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because this is these are towns 45 minutes away, completely different languages. But then to hear of Hunkaminam, I kept thinking it was just another way of saying Hulkaminam. I thought, oh, I'm just not getting the accent right. And then to realize, oh no, once again, different language, similar, but the the actual movement and geography of that is is very specific. I'm curious though, you mentioned the origin stories of the elders. So in Snanaimo, what how does the origin story differ <laughs> from what you know about the language or you know 
how, how, how is what you learned in university different from, say, something your grandfather might tell you? Um, how is it different? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I've noticed that the origin stories seem to differ from place to place. The Cowichans, and even trickle into Nanaimo and down this way, they, they have a book out called Those Who Fell From the Sky. Mm -hmm. And they, that's their belief. That's mm -hmm. what they believe in. Uh, but as you move further north and even further north up the island, um, we have different origin stories of people who come from wolves. Mm -hmm people who come from whales, people who are created from rain and sand mm -hmm. uh, by, by Hels, the creator, or, you know, and, and so on. Um, it's really neat to, to, to hear those things and to hear the elders, what they speak and how they think of it and how they relate it to everything around them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. But then again, you can still look at a story, for example, an origin story in Nanaimo says that there was two wolves that wandered the earth. And they uh, wandered and they walked and they walked and they walked until they found a beautiful river where they decided they wanted to remain for the rest of their lives. So they waited till the sun, the sunrise, and then they swam across and they took off their wolf cloaks and they become the very first people of this Nanaimo River. Mm. Okay? So if you look at that in a in the way we learn things academically in university and uh, to sit with the different elders who look at things academically, I guess. Um, maybe, literally, it's not two wolves that wandered the, wandered the world and took off their wolf cloak. Maybe it was two people who came over the, the mountains, mm -hmm. the interior Salish, crossed over into the island, and their spirit guides were wolves. Mm. You know, things they seen that were around them, right? Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I, I, I don't know. That seems to be a theory sometimes when you, you interview elders and you talk to them. And, uh, you know, those who fell from the sky. Maybe when you ask somebody in those times, well where, well, where did you come from? You come across some strange man who's wandering the world. Where did you come from? And he's pointing up to the mountains across the mainland. Right. You know, he fell from the sky. Right. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. It's it's neat to hear those things and to to uh, to learn about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what was it like for you when I understand your grandparents both died, mm -hmm. and so then here you were carrying language and stories. And how old were you at that time? I was still in grade school when oh. my grandpa died, um, maybe grade seven. Oh. I remember the day very well. My, um, my mother got to the school and uh, she was very upset and I asked her what was wrong and she looked back at me and she told me my grandfather had died. And it was like the, one of the saddest days of my life because like I said, my grandfather was my superhero. He was the one who shared everything that I know today with me. He made it a point to share that with me. Uh, yeah. Even more, not to disrespect my father because I love my father, he was there even more so than my father. Mm -hmm. yeah. He was the one who I credit everything to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It sounds, I don't know, maybe this is my English mind, but it also sounds like you were, you were chosen. He chose you somehow. 
and so there's a special bond. Mm -hmm. And so how has that impacted you as you've made choices about school or even where you live or those kinds of things? How, how do you carry the responsibility of that? How do I carry it? Uh, with pride and respect. Uh, <clears throat> everything that I do when I make a move, when I, uh, whether it's traditionally, culturally, whether it's outside in, in Western society, it's always based on how my grandfather talked to me, the way he said things. Uh, do I do that this way or do I do it that way? Which way is going to be the most respectful to not only to myself but the people around me? You know, how do I include those people in my decision to? How does it affect my children? How does it affect my wife? How does it affect my, my brothers, my sisters, my family? Mm. Yeah. And so what are the expectations then of your community? Because you know, you're, you're, uh, you've been strongly guided that it's going to be important for you as hereditary chief to be one day able to step into that role in a good way. Um, what will be expected of you, like in the modern day? What, how, what does that look like? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, where those things, I'm not chief yet. I'll just say that okay. I'm not. I don't want to offend anybody. Mm -hmm. But um, I think what that looks like today is uh, still very culturally strong. Mm -hmm. um, my grandfather used to say that, uh, you know. If you're going to lead your family, you're going to lead your community, you don't dictate to them. You, you lead them with love and compassion. You include them in decisions that you have to make. It's not, it's not that you're going to say, I'm better than you, you know. Uh, we're all of the same respects, we're all equal. Um, my grandfather used to tell me that if you go out and you have a catch, you get a deer, he says, you take that deer home and you give it to the people just a little bit less fortunate than you, and you give it to the elders, those who can't hunt and gather themselves, then you give it to your children, your family, then if there's anything left over, you can have something to eat. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something that was very misunderstood around contact. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, they're giving away their worldly possessions, those people are crazy, those Indian people are crazy. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't see and didn't understand was that there wasn't only one person doing that, giving away his, mm -hmm. his food. There was other, other longhouses, other families who were doing the same thing. So it was like a big circle of sharing, mm -hmm. communal living. Mm -hmm. uh, the, how the Cuomo community is, they, the communal living. And I think that's, in my mind, that's one of the reasons why we're so overlooked by the Canadian government, mm -hmm. uh, by the non Cuomo society no, because can, can you just stop because I love that word homo 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 yeah. is native yeah so when yeah. you say non homo yeah that's non native yeah right okay there's uh <laughs> yeah there's no money to be made in communal living right and whether we like it or not or anybody else likes it or not that's just the way of the world today mm. money makes things happen money makes the world go around mm -hmm. and if there's no money to be made in communal living then it's mm -hmm. kind of like push them to the side you know 
who cares if they have dirty drinking water, third world mm -hmm. conditions in Canada, mm -hmm. which is a great place, mm -hmm. right? There's yeah, this for people who don't know, we have about 100 First Nations communities under boil water advisories that's right. in Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's only been like two or three years where Nanaimo has finally been tapped into the city of Nanaimo for clean drinking water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we're still drinking well water. Yeah. Yeah, so not, you know, in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I've just seen clean water. Wow. Yeah. So, I, at, at my house, we talk about how we need to plan for the world we're going to get, not the one that we wish we had. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know if settler minds will ever understand communal living, mm -hmm. but I'm very curious what when you look at the future, and maybe not so broad, let's look at language revitalization, for instance. There's uh, an uneasy um, middle space here where historically there have been um, settler academics, let's say, who go into communities and they um, gather language resources and they get recordings of elders and they do all of that stuff like we're going to help preserve they call it maybe cultural conservation or something like that but then the language gets archived in a university library or something like that and it sounds like now we're kind of moving so that's been happening for decades but now we're kind of moving to the place where um, it seems like in some academic um, institutions they recognize uh, there needs to be, I would, I would call it, I'm not academic, but like sovereignty for, of First Nations with their language, but a need to also support. So when you look at language revitalization from where we are today, and you're thinking about the futurity for your children, that they will grow up with indigenous language, but here we have settler culture that is clearly, like, we just, we, we don't know how to do that. <laughs> like, we just, you know, so if you had a magic wand and a billion dollars, <laughs> you know, how would you, um, how would you like to see settler culture supporting or promoting or, like, how would we create a container where we can ensure that your children will grow up with indigenous language even more intact than you've had as quickly as possible? Mm, I think we fight too much for, for, uh, for money, oh. for funds, for different grants, right? Yeah. There's so many of our different language groups that not only in Halkaminam, Hankaminam, you know, Sinchoth and uh, Puntledge, Samish, all of the, for, I'm speaking for Salish, in all of those Salish groups, the people we all apply for that funding, that grant, you know, for thirty thousand, fifteen thousand, ten thousand, five thousand, whatever it is, and they say, oh well, you know, we're going to give two thousand to Salish, we're going to give two thousand to Kwakwala, we're going to give, you know, one thousand to, you know, another language. But in Salish, how many different groups are there and that gets washed down to almost nothing. So what do you do with that at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. What can you do with it? Right? Not much. Mm -hmm. So we, we fight uh, too much for money. Yeah. yeah. 
I think they need to uh, educate themselves and realize that just there's there's more than one dialect. There's the language within within the academic community. Oh, okay. right, wherever we apply for these grants to, whether right. it's uh, shirt grants or whatever they are, whatever they may be, um, that there's there's diversity within each of the Salish nation, the Kwakwala nation, the New Channel, you know, just on the island here itself, those three nations, they all have different dialects within how they speak, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, it's great that they want to make that money available, but they they need to step back, maybe look at it again, mm -hmm. look at how it's divvied out, right? And um, and just see it um, <clears throat> for a long time. People did come in, take our language, and you know just store it away. And uh, <clears throat> we need more support from from the universities. Mm -hmm. They need to uh, realize that a box full of recordings, a box full of notes is no good sitting somewhere for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. That um, where it's going to best benefit our people is in our own communities, is in our, is our, own, in our own classrooms, is in our own museum of language, let's say it that way, where we can access it, where we can begin to put together the pieces of our language and help hopefully learn to understand what, the, what that was and what it is and what it can be, right, for our children. Um, but again, still at a, at a certain level, we're still arguing with the universities about that context. As a non-academic, this boggles my mind because as just an average citizen and voter, the way I look at it is the government, I mean, they factually did, but now more recently they've actually admitted that they intentionally destroyed the language, or tried to, it's not destroyed, but um, Essentially, they took away the language, so I don't understand why they why the onus isn't on them to put it back. If every student in British Columbia needs a second language to graduate, mm -hmm. why why can it not be an indigenous language? That that seems like the future, but it's high school level. Why? I, can you? Is there anything I'm missing here about the logic of that? Because I don't understand why. It's even going through universities or grant process. That makes no sense to me. It seems like that, you know, if if we've already acknowledged that um, we know it's not taxpayer money, it's uh, land. It's it's the the economic opportunities provided by First Nations land and resources that is running this <laughs> this economy. I, I just what am I missing here? Yeah. That's the same thing I ask myself. Okay. Too. okay. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It, uh, it's silly for sure, but uh, what can you do? Right. That's the big question. What can you do? So what? So what? So what do you do? You study and teach. I study and I teach, and uh, I engage myself mm. in the language mm. all the time, mm -hmm. every day. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're a part of this, where are your keys, and it's great. They're going to give these guys tools. You go to Chief of Tom, TPR, Total Physical Response, they're giving them tools 
and whoever else creates these different ways of ways to study language and learn language all great all good tools that you can take away and you can use and you need lots of tools to make something happen mm -hmm. but ultimately in the end it has to be our own people mm -hmm. it has to be our children mm -hmm. it has to be us that are willing to go and take those hours and sit there with our elders on a day-to-day -day basis just like my grandfather told me, you want to know anything, I'm not going to come look for you. You have to come to me. Mm -hmm. So it has to be not just spending eight hours in a workshop all day. Once you're done, now you're going to go spend eight hours with that elder. Mm -hmm. I, to me, in my mind, that's the only way I got fluent. And that's the only way I see our people becoming fluent again. And it's not like they say there's no quick fix. You know, there's no magic wand, poof. But you have to look at it too. We're in a critical time. Just from when I started studying linguistics four years ago, I can think of a list of elders that I had that I could interview. There was ten of them. Now maybe I'm down to four. Wow. Just within four years. Yeah. Right? And in Snanemo, just within the past two to three years, we buried our last two fluent speakers. So Snanemok is like 99% extinct in its language. Mm -hmm. Wow, the, very urgent. There's a few of us who are, uh, who can converse, are latent, mm -hmm. but we're not, we can't say we're fluent because that would be a lie. We're not fluent yet. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Somebody says, oh, you're very fluent the way you talk to me, the way I speak. And, but to me, I don't see it that way. There's still things where if I were to go sit with a real old person, and they were just talk, 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 talk. I still have to process what they're saying in my mm -hmm. mind and not just understanding it right away. Mm -hmm. I have to think about what are those things that they're saying, what are they, how are they using that determiner, how are they using that prefix, that suffix, all of that stuff. I have to figure it out in my mind, how are they using it. So you were a very young man, really, when your grandparents passed and then went for a period without hearing the language you're speaking. And so I'm curious, like, what is it that's special about language in particular with culture? Like, what was it like when you first went to a Hunkaminam class? Um, well, <clears throat> yeah, I went a long time after my grandparents left, and I didn't have anybody to speak with anymore. And uh, years, maybe 10 years almost went by. And I just totally forgot it. I just stirred it in the back of my mind somewhere and didn't think about it. I uh, focused on being a teenager, doing what teenagers do, and essentially forgot who I was, I think. Mm -hmm. A little bit, I shouldn't say all of who I was, but a little bit. You know, uh, uh, as the world moved faster, I wanted to keep up with it. Let's just say it that way. Um, but we went to a language class, my aunt, was hosting a language class in Stanemo. And she came and she approached me. She said, son, I'm going to host a language class. I want you to come. I want you to help me. And I just was thinking, why me? And just when I was thinking that, she says, I know you know the language. You grew up with grandma and grandpa. And she says, I want you to be a part of it. And I just said, okay. I accepted and I went. And uh, I remember walking through the door the first time and there were some, I think, to me, in my mind, next generation elders, like my grandparents and my gr grand uncles and that, they were, 
the last stronghold of elders who had really strong knowledge of mm -hmm. our practices and our beliefs in that. Then there's a generation that kind of, you know, the residential school generation who are elders now, who things got washed down for them because of, mm -hmm. you know, they're wiping it from their mind. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what they were told. You forget about it, otherwise you get a strap. You don't speak it or you get a strap. Mm -hmm. So we had that generation of elders who kind of wonder just as much as we wonder, is that correct, is it incorrect, right? right? So there was a group of elders, and there was us, and we were sitting in a room terrified of what this class was gonna be like. Yeah, we were all the same. And my uh, relative, my cousin, Jerry Brown Humus, he walked in, and my aunt walked in, and the first thing he said to us is, you've been taught how to suppress your inner qualmo for so long, that it's just natural to you now. That's just how you think, that's how you operate. He says, now is the time to let that go. Now is the time to be homo. And it's just like a big sigh of relief came over the class, like, oh, okay, this is who we are. This is what we do. And it was just, the class flourished. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And how does language, or how does knowing your language change how you walk in the world? What do you see when people are learning? What do I see? Hmm. I just don't think I've figured that out yet. Um, excitement, the same fear, wonderment, the awe of, of uh, what's there, how far does this go? How far do I have to go to, to get to where I want to be? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's a, I know it's a long road, it's a, an uncertain road, it's a scary road, but I stuck it out and uh, I'm grateful that I did. Yeah. And when you think about those elders who are still, I mean, you know, very few are fluent and then there's some who are conversant, but you know, when you think about the sense of urgency around um, not just conserving, but like reviving the indigenous languages, um, how does that make you feel and how do you cope with those feelings? When you said earlier, you were like, what are you gonna do, basically? <laughs> so, I mean, I would imagine that there's grief and anger and frustration and futility, but where have you landed? And how do you deal with the difficult parts of it? Mm, definitely there's been some hard times in it for me, you know, to, to study linguistics, to, to be a part of Simon Fraser's program, their pilot project. Um, I turned to my nation to help me with that, mm -hmm. for funding. You know, and the ultimate word was no. Mm. And to me, that kind of, I seen where they put language. Mm -hmm. It's not a priority, right? And I even went to, uh, last last spring, I said, phoned in, said, I'm graduating the linguist, the First Nation Linguistics Program. And, um, you know, can I be included in the, the band ceremony for the uh, post-secondary graduates and the high school graduates and that? And, um, it just didn't happen. Oh. So it was, it was definitely heart-wrenching. Yeah. 
Um, so that was where my that was where my uh, my grief and my can like uh, that's where that come in. Yeah. Uh, but my brother pulled me aside uh, because I wrote a blog about it, and I put it on Facebook, and he read it, and he says, um, "I want to say to you that I'm very proud of you. Um, you don't need the recognition for your hard work." He says, "What I want you to do now is I want you to put that work into motion in our communities. I want you to make that real." For our, for your children, for my children and your grandchildren, he says, uh, nobody can come along and give you. It it sounds like I contradict myself. Nobody can come along and give you an X amount of dollars, and say, learn your language. He says, mm. it starts at home with your children. Mm. He says, you have to share with them now. You have to just like our old people, how they it started as a child. Mm-hmm. Mm. Don't don't worry about the money. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the recognition. And it makes sense. In a lot of ways, it makes sense. We have to learn our language within our own zone, within our own areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we still have to. We still have to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. We still have to put food on our table. We still have to put the skills that I learned in uni- university to the test. Mm-hmm. I have to contribute to society, mm-hmm. to my family, to my community. So it's finding that balance of making it all work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have kids? I have children, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so are you speaking with them at home? Um, I try to share with my children, but they were no different than me. Um, <laughs> you know, the new Xbox is coming out. Yeah. The new PlayStation is coming out, and that's the sad reality of, of, of today's world. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the next new thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've my children have taken a a strong, uh, turn to culture, mm-hmm. and uh, they're finding it within their hearts. So now, I'm gonna leave it up to them to, uh, you know, start to come to me and want right. to learn more about our culture, ask questions about our culture, ask questions about our language. And I see that in them. It's it's a spark that's growing. And when it comes to language, uh, I've always heard that if we've reached just one of you, we've done our job. Because mm-hmm. then that one goes to that next one, that next one, that one, and it just grows, right? It just mm-hmm. grows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing the language with me. Thank you for answering my questions. H-K. Thank you for being on the show. I'm feeling more hopeful about the issue of revitalization of Indigenous languages, at least in BC, at least where I live. I've just met so many committed, thoughtful, young language activists that, yeah, I'm feeling good about it. And he's got good stories, hey? That was so generous of Siwit to share those uh, origin stories and the stories of his childhood and all of that with us. Really appreciate him being on the show. If you're in BC and you're interested in finding out which language your local First Nation speaks, I recommend you start your research uh, by looking up the First Peoples Language Map of BC. Found that fascinating. 
definitely could fall down that internet wormhole for a while. If you're in the U.S., maybe look up uh, the American Indian Language Development Institute. And if you're interested in language revitalization and preservation in kind of more of a global perspective, you might visit the Endangered Language Fund or simply Google language activism. You can find links to all of those resources in the show notes at carmenspaniola.com. Just before we wrap up, I want to give a shout out to my listeners in Barbados. Barbados. <laughs> Why do I have listeners in Barbados? I don't, I don't know. But I so appreciate it. I think it's so cool. And I really appreciate you spending time with me. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development course. If you'd like to be notified when registration reopens in June 2017, hop onto my website and sign up for my newsletter. While you're there, you might be interested to know that I've posted the dates for my 2017 wilderness quests, you and me, 12 days in the mountains, figuring it all out. Get all the details at carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N. S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.